Welcome to the Ginghamsburg Podcast. After today's message, take a second to download the Ginghamsburg app. It's the best way to find out about and engage with what's happening at Ginghamsburg. We hope the following message helps you activate your faith and take the next step in your journey with Jesus. Good morning, church family. Very warm welcome to those worshiping in-house and those worshiping online. My name is Dennis, one of the pastors, and I'm super stoked about this upcoming teaching series that we are kicking off. The kids are going back to school, and we're going back to school at Gingsburg Church as well over the next seven weeks. So through the month of August, all through September, we're going to be looking at characteristics of a New Testament Jesus community. We're going to learn a lot and grow together, apply the relevant word to our hearts and to our life together. Our scripture today is from Revelation, the last book of the Bible, chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. You want to take a moment and open your Bibles or Bible apps, or if you're worshiping at home today, you may want to look that up. I'll be taking a step-by-step through that scripture. And as you're looking it up, allow me just to share some personal words Rachel and I, my wife and I, yesterday celebrated our 28th wedding anniversary. Yeah, we're, we're super excited. Yeah. And we spent the day remembering. We spent the day thinking about all of those individuals that touched our lives over the years. Back then, we were kids. We would never dreamt of all the unique places in which God took us and those individuals that have changed our lives and have shaped our marriage, and we're grateful. And then to come here, we want to say thank you. This is a loving church, and we feel the love, and I want to say thank you. We feel like we're at home, and we're super excited at getting to know you and your story as we share our story. One thing about my wife, Rachel, I'll tell you a little bit about her. Don't deduct this from my preaching time, okay? This is just warm up here. She's an ordained clergy person in the United Methodist Church, an ordained deacon. She serves in many different ways. One thing that she's doing this year is she's serving on the Lakeside Chautauqua Board of Directors up at Lakeside, Ohio. Anybody know of that beautiful place along Lake Erie on the Marblehead Peninsula? Yeah. And she was up there last week in a board of directors meeting and having some long meetings during the day. But in the evening, she would go out with her friend Gwen onto the lake. Rachel grew up on water. She loves water. And so on a couple of the nights, they spent their time on Yamaha Wave Runners out in Lake Erie. And she sent me this photo back. Yeah, this is your first lady, the 50s or the new 30s. <laughs> and I thought that was a cool photo because you can see the Marblehead Lighthouse in the background. If you look closely, Cedar Point is there as well. And so she texts me. She said, hey, Dennis, we just got back. I was preparing a sermon for last week. She said, we just got back, and we went all over Sandusky Bay, but then out into the lake, and we even circled Kelly's Island. And we were on the north side of Kelly's Island out in the open lake. And I'm saying, you did what? You did, and here I am having worried husband syndrome as I'm starting to think of all these things that could go wrong. She's out there in the lake, and I'm thinking maybe a storm coming up and great big waves or running out of gas and drifting to Canada or something like that. I thought maybe she would have to stay overnight, and Bessie, the Loch Ness monster of Lake Erie, would eat her or something. And I said, 
Wow. And if you think about it, Lake Erie is a very dangerous place. Now, there are times when the lake is calm, and, and she's telling me, though, well, hey, we were, we were riding, we were getting air on some of those waves. <laughs> but when storms come up, did you know, this is a fact, there have been more shipwrecks on Lake Erie than any other of the Great Lakes because of its shell of depth and the way that storms come in. And so storms can come very quickly. Also, the lake has rip currents. Now, it, it's not like the ocean, it has an undertow, but it has currents. And those currents can take you to a place that you never thought you would be. If you're drifting, you can be in one place and thinking all is secure, but you get in one of those currents and it can take you off. Very, very dangerous. Now, today, what I want to do is I want to tell you about a church that drifted, that drifted to a place that it never thought it would end up. It's like looking back, now how did we get here? This was not the plan. And yet Jesus is invited them to come back as we shall see in this story. And he will tell them the heart of what a church should be. And I'm just going to give you an insight right now. The heart of a New Testament Jesus movement is a focus on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about keeping the main thing, the main thing. In fact, you may want to write this down. Somebody once said, the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing, right? And that's Jesus. But this church had drifted. It's the church of Ephesus in Revelation chapter 2. Let me tell you a little background about the great Roman city of Ephesus, because all this is important. We don't check our brains at the door. We have to understand the context in which these scriptures were written. So the city of Ephesus was the fourth largest city in the first century of the Roman Empire. It was located in the Roman province of Asia Minor, which is today modern-day Turkey. It was a huge city for that day. The population is estimated around 225,000 people. So about the population of Dayton, Ohio, but back then would have been huge for the cities of that day. At the center of this city was the worship of the Roman fertility goddess Diana, known as Artemis. And located in this city, known to all, it would have been known to the Apostle Paul, it would have been known to the people of the first century, was a great temple to Diana. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the temple to Artemis, the temple to Diana. And in that temple worked hundreds into the thousands of prostitutes as part of the fertility cult of the Roman Empire. And so in their work, it was in their own worship in the cult. This was a wild place, wild on Ephesus. And many of those believers came out of that lifestyle. We find in Acts chapter 19, great revival that took place that founded this church. They'd come out of the old way. They'd come out of darkness into the light of Christ. It's within that context that the church was birthed. 
in the middle of this huge pagan city, there was a great church, and it was the church of Ephesus. Now, the church of Ephesus was founded by the Apostle Paul. You can read all about it in Acts chapter 19. It was founded off a great movement, revival of signs and wonders that were taking place there. Later, we find the Apostle Paul writing a letter to the church of Ephesus. Do you know that New Testament letter? Ephesians, right? Bible students. And then later, we find the Apostle John off of the coast of Ephesus on Patmos, 40 years later, writing back to this church. So the church was founded, as far as we know, around 50 AD, and then John giving this revelation of Jesus Christ about 90 AD. So the church was about 40 years old, one generation old. It started with the revival, and now it's about 40 years later, the next generation and part of those who were first in that ministry. The church also had some amazing pastors. You talk about leadership. This was a church. First of all, the Apostle Paul was part of the founding of the church. Priscilla and Aquila, have you heard of them? They nurtured the church along with the powerful preaching of a guy by the name of Apollos. There was another young pastor that came up the ranks of this church. His name was Timothy. And we know that two of the New Testament letters were written in his name. And then the Apostle Paul came back and he pastored the church for another two years. You talk about good leadership, this church had it. And then to top it all off, John the Apostle, it said, pastored this church for a few years. This is where traditional scholars said he wrote the Gospel of John. And let me give you one other little fact that may surprise you here. Church tradition says that Mary, the mother of Jesus, ended up being part of this church. In fact, part of Roman Catholic tradition is that she was there, and there's a house that people still go to remember her living there. This is just part of church tradition. It's very, very fascinating, though. Remember, when Jesus was on the cross, he turned to his beloved, and he said to John, behold your mother, take care of her. And he said to Mary, behold your son. And so the church has taught from its very early age that John took care of, mother, of Mary in her older years. And therefore, because John ministered in Ephesus, Mary would have been there too. Can you imagine having Mary, the mother of Jesus, as part of your church? Wouldn't that be cool? Pastor stands up, okay, today we're going to talk about the early life of Jesus. You can go over to Mary and say, did that really happen like that? <laughs> or... Can you imagine what Christmas would be like? They'd say, we're going to have a Christmas pageant this year. And looking over to Mary, Mary, would you like to play yourself <laughs> this year? She'd say, oh, I want to let you know it really wasn't a silent night. All wasn't calm. Hey, I'm going to tell you the nerves were tight. Those animals, they just made all kinds. And you could have smelled that place if you were downwind. <laughs> And then, I mean, the baby wouldn't stop crying, you know, like that. Thanks for the sound effects this morning. I mean, it was a crazy place. And the angels, those heavenly choirs, I mean, they were loud. You could hear them all over down, down the streets of Bethlehem. It'd be cool having her. So just part of the background, this was an amazing church. In fact, Jesus starts by sharing 
a lot about it. I can imagine today, if it was a church today in the Miami Valley, it would probably have a slick website. It'd probably offer a lot of different programs. We will see that it had a lot of mission, had a lot of activities and good works, maybe had a good building and all, flashy in, in, in many ways, offering a lot of good programs, as we shall see. And so how, here's how he begins. Let me open up my New Testament as well. Revelation chapter 2. Here's the word given to John on the island of Patmos 40 years after the founding of this church. To the angel of the church at Ephesus write. Let me pause right here. In Greek, the word angel could also mean messenger, which would be pastor. And so this revelation, this word from Jesus is to the pastor and to the people of this church. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but in context, Jesus is giving this revelation to seven churches in Asia Minor. So the seven stars are references to the seven pastors, and the seven lampstands would be to the seven churches. Here he's writing to Ephesus. Verse 2, he says, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not. You have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships in my name and have not grown weary. He gives actually seven compliments here. So many good things. This is a church of sound doctrine. This is a church of good deeds. This is a church of a lot of activities, a mission. They're so strong that they're able to admonish the people who come in who are uh, not teaching correct doctrine, and they have not grown weary. Isn't that a good word in the midst of a lot of hardships we endure? Just going through the pandemic, and yet you have not grown weary. Way to go. And in verse 6, he says something that's easy to miss. He says, is he continues to compliment them. You have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now, who were they? Well, I want parents, just for you to note that I didn't say the Nickelodeons, or Jesus didn't say that now, so I don't want you to go to back uh, to your kids and say, we can no longer watch uh, SpongeBob SquarePants anymore, because Jesus said, that pastor said, that you're to hate Nicolaitans. That's not what he said. The Nicolaitans, who were they? They were a first century cult that crept into the church that taught cheap grace and a license to sin. Basically, do whatever you want to because whatever you do, it doesn't matter. God loves, and God does love us. But they taught that, and that was not of the Lord in his teaching. So this was a strong church. And yet, verse 4. Oh, Jesus, why did you give him verse 4? Why do you give us verse 4? And yet he did. He says, yet I hold this one thing against you. You have forsaken your first love, meaning me. Let me ask you a question today. I'm asking myself. So I'll ask myself, and you just put your own self into it. Have I fallen out of love with Jesus? Don't answer it too quickly, lest you answer it superficially. 
Do I burn with the love of God in Christ today? Dennis Kinlaw, the president of Asbury College, when I was a student there in the late 1980s, was asked, how can a person who was so on fire for the Lord, who loved the Lord so much, walk away? That couldn't happen, could it? He said, it doesn't happen overnight. It happens one day at a time. It happens in the little compromises. I'm like the other pastors here who have officiated many weddings over the years. And every time I've stood at a wedding, a time when we're celebrating love, I'm convinced almost in every single situation or if everyone that that couple with all their heart want to pledge their entire life and future to one another in this committed promise. No one's thinking, you know, in six and a half years from now, I'm going to betray you. No one ever does that. It doesn't happen like that. It happens one day at a time. When you grow apart, when you're not cultivating that relationship, you're not working on that relationship. It happens the same in the church. When we get away from the things, the spiritual disciplines in our lives that, that keep us accountable to one another and we grow. Perhaps it's moving out of life group or our worship becomes less frequent or we say, I'm going to catch the sermon on Tuesday night if I don't have anything else going on. It's in the little areas that we give away or we begin to make it about us, about our comfort or instead of Jesus' mission because Jesus is saying, if you love me, you're going to love what I love and the people that I love. It's, it's going to be about my work in the world. And yet, sometimes we make it about us and we become critics even of worship where we say, well, I like this person singing about like this person or I like this song or I didn't like, or the pastor, well, he was maybe an eight and a half last week, but it was kind of a six and a half or, or, or maybe five this week, you know. Remember the old uh, Cisco, Cisco and Ebert, thumbs up, thumbs down as we give and we begin to rank and all. It's in the little compromises and then we end up drifting. And wonder, I never thought I would be here, but now I'm away. As if we've drifted to Canada from Lake Erie. Because we've drifted to a place that we never thought we would be. And Jesus says, if this is your situation, there's hope for you. See, Jesus never gives up on us. Amen? He says, here's what you need to do. I'm here. He says, verse 5. He says, Remember the height from which you have fallen, repent, and do the things you did at first. Remember, remember what was going on in your life for that church back 40 years ago. What are those things that birthed that revival, that dependence on the Holy Spirit? Remember those times that you felt close to the Lord. If you don't feel as close to God as once you once did sometime in your life, listen, God hasn't moved. <laughs> God hasn't changed, so maybe we have. So he says, repent. Let's just name it. It's a sin. We need to repent. Repentance means much more than just saying we're sorry and beating ourselves up. No, the word repentance literally means what in Greek? To change. It means to do a 180. If we're going one direction, we are to turn around, and we are to go another direction. 
remember, repent, do. You know, he gives a warning to them. This doesn't have to be our future, but he gives it to them. He says, if you don't repent, he says, I will come and I will remove your lampstand from its place, meaning I'm going to put your light out. Now, one of the most sobering facts of reality, because our belief, our faith is is not just mere positive thinking. It's based on history. It's based in reality. Is that if you were to travel back to Western Turkey, to the place of this early church today, you would find that doesn't exist. This once great church doesn't exist. In 2015, my wife Rachel and I traveled with Bishop Palmer on the journeys of Paul, and we visited this site of ancient ruins. And we told a lot of stories, and we took pictures of rocks. But this once great church with amazing pastors of Paul and Timothy and John, Priscilla and Aquila, great preaching of Apollos, now doesn't exist. Their light has gone out. Let that never be our church. But it tells us that we can't live on just our history. Amen? That we shine the light of Jesus Christ today. Friends, I think this passage tells me and you that a busy church is not automatically a blessed church. Amen? We can be busy, 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 even for the kingdom, and it's all good. But is Jesus our first love? A sign of a healthy church is it's built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. So this is where we begin. A characteristic of a Jesus community is our first focus. It's all about Jesus. It's literally not about a program. It's about a person with a capital P. It's about Jesus. And then we live and operate, I love this, listen, in the overflow of our love for Jesus Christ. That's our heart. It'll change the world one life at a time. We love Jesus around here, and we're going to do something about it. Thanks be to God. I want to end with a story. I don't usually read, but I'm going to read you a story today as we get ready for communion. This story is out of Tom Smith's book entitled Doing Good for Thinking People, and this will be worth your morning today. He talks about a time in which he was in Jesus' name, out of overflow for Jesus, loving on people. He was going to a convalescent home, and he was there visiting people. And he went down a hall. It was Mother's Day. He was passing out flowers. He went on a hall he'd never been before, and the people in the hall were strapped to wheelchairs and, and uh, carts. And he writes this: As I neared the end of the hallway, I. I saw an old woman strapped up in a wheelchair. Her face was an absolute horror. The empty stare and the white pupils of her eyes told me she was blind. The large hearing aid over one ear told me she was almost deaf. One side of her face was being eaten by cancer. and There was a discolored and running sore covering part of one cheek. It had pushed her nose to one side and dropped one eye and distorted her jaw. As a consequence, she drooled constantly. 
I was told later that when new nurses arrived, the supervisors would send them to feed this woman, thinking that if they could stand the sight of her, they could stand anything in the building. I also learned later this woman was 89 years old. She had been there bedridden, blind, nearly deaf and alone for 25 years. This was Mabel. I don't know why I spoke to her. She looked less likely to respond than most of the people I saw in the hallway, but I put a flower in her hand and I said, here's a flower for you, happy Mother's Day. She held the flower to her face and tried to smell it and then she spoke and to much to my surprise, her words, although somewhat garbled because of her deformity, were obviously produced by a clear mind. She said, thank you, it's lovely, but can I give it to someone else? I can't see it, you know. I'm blind. I said, of course, and I pushed her in her chair back down the hallway to a place where I thought I could find some alert patients. I found one. I stopped the chair, and Mabel held out the flower and said, here, this is from Jesus. That was when it began to dawn on me that this was not an ordinary human being. Later, I wheeled her back into a room, and I learned more about her history. She had grown up on a small farm that she managed with only her mother until her mother died. Then she ran the farm alone until her blindness and sickness sent her to the hospital and to this nursing facility. For 25 years, she got weaker and sicker and constant headaches and backaches and stomach aches, and then the cancer came. Her three roommates never talked, just screamed occasionally. They often soiled their bedclothes, and because of the hospital was understaffed, especially on Sundays when I usually visited, the stench was often overpowering. Can you picture that in your mind? Have you been at a place like that before? Okay. Then he writes this. Now listen. Mabel and I became friends, and over the next few weeks and months and years, one day, this question came to my mind. What does Mabel have to think about hour after hour, day after day, week after week, not even able to know if it's day or night? So I went and asked Mabel, Mabel, what do you think about when you lie here? She said this, I think about my Jesus. I think about how good he's been to me, you know. And then she began to sing an old traditional song that some of you may know. Jesus is all the world to me, my life, my joy, my all. He is my strength from day to day. Without him I would fall. Some of you are thinking, Pastor, keep your day job. You're not a singer. When I am sad, to him I go. Do you know this? No other one can cheer me so. When I am sad, he makes me glad. He's my friend. Church, let me ask you this question as we leave. Is Jesus still all the world to you? If not... Jesus says, I'm here, come to me. Remember, repent, turn around to me and return. I know no greater way for us to do that
today in an act of faith respond to his life and death on the cross as we share in communion today. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him. Lord, I thank you today that your grace is still amazing. Thank you for the lesson from history, literally, of the church of Ephesus. How it was founded with a great movement, but then it drifted. Some of us have found ourselves drifting lately. We thank you that you await for us with open arms. And even in this act, as Pastor Mike comes, we come back to you. and give you our all. Thank you for your love that never ends. Our love for us today. You're still all the world to us. We pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's message. I've got two invitations for you before you go. First, subscribe to our podcast so it shows up in your feed every week. And if today's message inspired you and you'd like more people to hear it, you can give a financial gift through the Ginghamsburg app or online at ginghamsburg.org.